so, we're looking this morning at Luke. And uh, I need a Bible, John. Can I steal that one from next to you? Thank you. Um, so this is the opening of Luke's Gospel. And we're thinking about Advent. So starting at the beginning is a good place to start. Should we just pray before we carry on? Father God, we want to make way for you in our hearts. Lord, as we think of this Advent season, this time of preparation, looking forward with anticipation, Father, may we look forward to you speaking to us now and anticipate hearing your words in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so, Dave uh, started as instructed with verse 5, but it's, it's interesting to look at the start of Luke um, just by way of background, because you'll remember that Luke was a doctor. He was, a, he was an intellectual. He was a thinker. Uh, he had a very Greek mindset. And he wanted to write both his Gospel of Luke and also Acts, the two books, as a way of setting out in a very clear way the story of God coming to be among us, of the salvation that Jesus had brought, Emmanuel, God with us. And he wanted it to be a tale, a narrative, a description that was sort of open to all. So unlike Matthew, who was writing particularly for a very Jewish audience, uh, unlike John, who had slightly more sort of, uh, um, sort of millennial focus, and unlike Mark, who really just wanted to get to the end very quickly, Luke was, was really trying to set things out for a very, very wide audience. And I think it's interesting in that context to then think about why he starts with this couple. Because Matthew, you'll remember, starts with a long sort of genealogy, which is very important to the Jews. You know, which family are you from? Where are you from in terms of your sort of birthright? Um, Luke knows that's sort of a little bit alien to a lot of his audience. And he's got a much more modern way of doing it. It's like a sort of, you know, Netflix or Amazon or BBC drama where you've got strands of the story starting. You see the car driving down the street and stopping, somebody getting out and walking in. And then it flips to something else, somebody sitting at a computer typing something. And then the story flips again. Now, because Luke was writing sort of 2,000 years ago, he doesn't approach it with quite that sort of rapidity. So we haven't got quite so many sort of uh, jump cuts from one scene to another. It builds a little more slowly. But what he's trying to do is to draw us in to the narrative, to try and help us understand the context, what's to come, to get us to sort of think about what's to come before actually telling us about that. So let's have a look at the first slide and the, the context. Um, now... It's, it's often hard for us to sort of uh, remember what's been going on for the Jews prior to the Christmas story and the Gospels, because we just launch straight into them, and it's, oh yes, this is about Jesus, off we go. But for the Jews, they'd had a pretty rough time. You remember way back when the kingdom had been split, so after Solomon, the kingdom was split into two, because they couldn't really govern themselves, civil war, two kingdoms, and then eventually both of those kingdoms, first one and then the other, were swallowed up by uh, the big empires around about. And then ultimately we had the return from exile with Ezra and Nehemiah, those sort of last prophets 
in, in the Bible in terms of the timeline, talking about the return to the promised land and Nehemiah rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem and all of that sort of stuff. That was 400 years prior to the point in time where we are now. Um, the land has been occupied throughout that time. So when the Jews came back to the promised land, they didn't come back as free victors. They came back as a concession by the ruler that, yes, they could move back to the place they'd been moved out of. So they were still sort of under somebody else's rule. And that empire fell. Another empire came up. Alexander the Great, probably heard of him. Then his empire broke apart. There was another sort of few empires, and so an empire, uh, smaller empire ruled the, ruled the Jews. And then, of course, the Romans came along. So they'd had continual occupation by people who did not believe in the one true God. So it wasn't a great situation, really, that Zechariah and Elizabeth were living in. It wasn't a great situation that the Jews were living in. And just to try and put that in context... You know, when the sort of the, the first English version of the Bible, the one that God really speaks, as some of you will know, um, when that uh, King James version was published, which may seem to some of us a little bit old, that's the equivalent time frame. James the first, four hundred years ago. So, if you imagine that this country had been under oppressive and alien rule since James the first then that begins to give you an idea of just how long the Jews had not been living in the promised land in the way that it was promised to them. It wasn't necessarily a land flowing with milk and honey. And the real question, I suspect, for a lot of Jews was, was hope gone? They'd been prophesied this Messiah. You remember Isaiah prophesied to the people living in darkness... On them has a light shined. Well, it hadn't shone yet. They hadn't seen it. Next slide. So then we have the focus in. Zechariah and Elizabeth. You know, why, why them? Why, why, why did they give birth to John? What's going on? And why John and then Jesus? And why does Luke bother to tell us so much about them? Well, you could pull a lot of different things out of this story. And I, as, as Dave was reading, I was thinking of even more. So I have to try and sort of control myself to focus on the ones that I've thought of previously. But there's a few really interesting things about Zachariah and Elizabeth. You know, they're described as very old. Now, we don't know what that means in a Jewish context in terms of absolute years. But I think we can take it that they were at the tail end of their lives. They were probably more infirm than they had been um, they were regarded as, as people who were sort of at the end rather than at the beginning. And probably to a lot of the younger people around them, in spite of the sort of veneration for older people in Jewish society, they might have been looking more like people who were becoming irrelevant. We were celebrating Timothy's dancing success. He's at the start. Who knows where he might end up? Because it's all in front of him. Ed Balls, in contrast. <laughs> I mean, he's doing pretty well. If I could dance as well as him, and Sue will tell you I can't, but if I could dance as well as him, I'd be very pleased. 
but um, you know, he's not going to be leading Swan Lake, is he ever? Um, so there's, there's something that happens as you get to the end of something. A lot of the things that could have been are clearly now not going to be. I am never going to be a star of film and stage because I became a banker instead. You know, all sorts of choices that we make when we're young, things that happen to us, by the time we get beyond a certain stage, a lot of those sort of dreams are clearly now sort of pipe dreams or things that were nice things to think about but are no longer. And it's not just about age, is it? It's about life choices generally. It's about projects we do. It's about paths we go down. The choices that we make, the, the, the avenues we travel down, other things are then shut off. Other things stop being as possible. And the further we travel down one path, the other path is no longer available to us. So here is Zachariah and Elizabeth, and they're both towards the end of their lives. Now, the focus of the story is very much on Elizabeth and the birth of John and the foretelling of that. But just for a second, think about the two of them. So here is Elizabeth. She's towards the end of her life, and she is barren. And that, that word is a very harsh word. We talk about barren landscapes. And if you think of a, the picture of what the word barren means to you, it means hostile, deserted, lifeless completely lacking in potential. And that's the way that she was regarded, as somebody who had not had a child. Now, some of us have experienced that, but many more of us have experienced barrenness in other situations, where we have hoped for something and it hasn't come where we have taken that one path because that was the one that somehow was sort of maybe forced upon us. And there was another path that perhaps is what we dreamt of or what we would have preferred. And now where we are feels barren. Elizabeth is in that situation. Her husband maybe also was in that situation, but... If you read the text carefully, he's just won the lottery. He has literally won the lottery. He's a priest, and the way the priesthood worked was there were, there were sort of teams of priests, and they would take it in turns as a team to come to the temple and sort of do all the stuff, like having a sort of rotating ministry. So we'd have Chris for sort of one month and somebody else for another month, and it would be Chris plus a team of people, and another new team would come in, and they'd do their stuff. One member of that team at any particular one point was chosen by lot, by lottery, to serve the incense in the temple. It was an incredible honor. Now, because it was by lottery, by lot, you might never win. He might get two. And the notes to the uh, sort of uh, study Bible say that, you know, you're, you, you, you might never win. It was quite common not to ever get that privilege. So Zachariah has won the lottery. So here we have two old people at the end of their lives, and now one of them has suddenly won the lottery. Now, let's imagine that Elizabeth was a, was a very wonderful person. She's described as very righteous. So I think we can probably imagine and hope that she was really pleased for Zachariah. He finally made it. 
in priestly terms, that was a real upgrade. There he has been a priest for all his life, and then suddenly he's won the lottery. She hasn't. She's got to deal with the fact that her life is still barren, and now suddenly his life is spectacular, at least in that context. That, I think, is something that we all face. We will all be in situations where it's really going very badly for us, or just not as well as we hoped. And somebody, maybe somebody very close to us, suddenly gets the win. They get the job. They get the, they get, they, they're literally the lottery. They get the sort of, the, the sudden, oh yes, that's yours, or well done, or whatever it may be. And we have to deal with that ourselves. How do we deal with that? It doesn't tell us about Elizabeth and how she dealt with her husband's success. The impression one gets if you read the subtext is that she was a woman of prayer and she continued to pray, but it, it doesn't say that. So um, I may be giving her more credit than she was due. Maybe she sat at home and smashed plates and cursed and swore. We don't know. But she feels like a good person. She probably coped with it better than maybe I would have done. But was hope gone? He's got this win at the end of his life. Great, okay, right, you did the incense bit. Let's go back home. And then, you know, we'll get the sort of popularity in the village for a little while as the man who served the incense, and then that'll be it. And one of us will die first, and then the next one, and that's the end. Is that all there is? Well, no. Next slide. Because after 400 years, God is moving. God is beginning to work. And as we know, because we heard the end of the story, a barren couple will conceive a child. But of course what Luke is talking to us about here is the fact that a barren world will receive hope. And that's the really extraordinary thing that he wants us to begin to engage with. And that's why he's telling us about this couple first, because he wants to give us the context for the extraordinary nature of what is about to come. But all of God's promises are going to come true in one baby. After 400 years or more of barrenness, expectation without fulfillment, suddenly hope is going to be rekindled. And more than rekindled, hope is going to be fulfilled. Next slide. So how can we apply what we see in Elizabeth and Zachariah's story to, to our own lives? Um, well, I think there's actually a lot in this story. It's, it's worth really reading carefully and engaging with it, trying to imagine yourself being there. But I think one of the key things that spoke to me is God is at work whether we can see it or not. And that's very, very easy to say, and it's extremely hard to believe. Because when we can't see things, we really find it tough to believe that there's actually anything going on. Now, we have lots of sort of reminders around us that there is that truth. So you look at the trees now, where all the leaves have come off or in the process of coming off, you can see death. 
And like some of the days we've had over the last few days when it's pouring with rain and it's dark and it's blowing and it's... You can feel death as well. But you know, and I know, that spring comes. Because we've seen it before. So we can have faith that the trees that are all losing their leaves now, that there will be a time when the buds reappear and then the leaves open and it all looks fantastic. And we just have to sort of get through the period of winter in order to get to spring. But there are other situations in our lives where we haven't necessarily been through that. We're in it and we haven't experienced the getting out of it. And it's very, very hard, I think, I find it hard to believe that God is at work when I see no evidence of his hand. But what Luke wants us to that God is at work, whether we can see it or not in our immediate circumstance. And he's saying, look at the evidence, look around you, look at other situations. Don't just focus on yourself. Try and take a bigger view. God has the ability to bring life to the most barren of places and the most barren of situations. Now this tale of Zachariah and Elizabeth is very particular and very extraordinary that somebody described as very old should then conceive a child is, is very unusual and something that these days only happens with sort of medical intervention um, in our society and is not something would happen in most places around the world. But I think for us, it's not about having a child or not having a child. It's about understanding that God has the ability to change things. God has the ability to bring life to the desert, to bring rivers where there was previously no water, to bring refreshment and wholeness. And Advent is a great opportunity to remind ourselves of these facts. So, as Chris was saying, you know, unfortunately the chocolate calendar doesn't open for another couple of days, so you've got the anticipation of the anticipation to anticipate about. But I would encourage you, if you have an Advent calendar or if you just sort of see them around the place, every time you see an Advent calendar, think on this point. The point about Advent is to build us up, for us to prepare for the coming of Jesus, mentally and emotionally. Jesus has already come. He's already been and done his work, and now he is with us on a permanent basis in a way that was not possible before, in terms of us relating to him, being able to draw close to God. But we need to think about that. We need to prepare our hearts and minds to receive him, to have that relationship, to engage with God. And Advent is a fantastic time to remember Emmanuel, God with us, God's closeness. Last one. So, a few thoughts. Pray like Zachariah and Elizabeth. Now again, slightly sort of reading between the lines here, but it would appear that they'd been praying for a long time. When Elizabeth um, says, at, uh, well, the, when the angel comes to Zechariah, he says, your prayers are answered. And then 
Elizabeth says, the Lord has done this for me. In these days he has shown his favor. They'd been praying about their situation, presumably for years. <coughs> There's a very, very strong current throughout the Bible that we need to be persistent in prayer. And that's hard. That's very hard. To continue to pray about something for somebody, for a situation where you have seen no evidence of God's working is really hard. But the Bible teaches that that is, if you like, a work that we're called to do. It is part of the Christian walk. Try to look for signs of God. Now, bizarrely, you know, Zechariah, um, the angel appears. So he's been praying for years. He's a priest. He ought to be a bit of an expert at spotting God at work. And then an angel appears and says, yeah, sorted, mate. God's going to do it. And he goes, no, you're not serious. Give me a sign. Okay, jump. No speakies, which is a bit tough for a preacher, as I'm sure you can imagine. Be, be a bit like, just as, a, as an aside, if, if Chris was sort of, you know, doing all the stuff here and he'd, he'd gone out to do something else and then I stopped talking and he came back and went, there's an extraordinary event going on there. It has to be that big for Zachariah. Be good for us if we could be more alert to God's leading and not need such a sort of sledgehammer miracle to really make Zachariah engage with it. Let's be alert to God working. Hebrews 10, 21 to 22 says, Since we have a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. In the Book of Common Prayer, it always has that. Draw near with faith just before the giving of the communion. I used to love that phrase because as a small boy, it told me the service was nearly over. So I had a sense of anticipation for all the wrong reasons. But I would just encourage all of us to think about those verses in Hebrews, to think about that phrase, draw near with faith. As we light the Advent candles, going round and then getting ready to light the one in the middle, as we get ready for Christmas to come, Let's put aside all the John Lewis adverts and all the other bits and pieces, the trappings of Christmas, in our hearts and minds and draw near with faith, believing that God has intervened, is intervening, and will intervene, and that he can bring springs of life to barren land. Amen.